Well, it's good to see y'all back this week. I kind of left y'all with a a cliffhanger last week. And so we'll be picking up where we left off and and we'll be um, talking about the Passover, the last and final plague um, as God was delivering his people um, from the land of Egypt. So before we get started, uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you and Father, we thank you. Father, we praise you. Father, we lift up our voices to you and we lift up our hearts to you. And Father, I thank you for your word that you've given us, your revelation of yourself to us. And Father, I pray that as I, as I speak your message today and, and, and talk about your word, that I do it faithfully. And that, Father, that you through the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds and ears to receive your message and to change us. Not just so that we can learn more and know more, but that we can, we can better know you and grow closer to a relationship with you. And that it would change who we are and how we live and, and, and how we represent you to the world. And Father, we, we, we thank you for your forgiveness and, and, and the price that you paid. And, and, and that's what we're talking about in this message today. And Father, we, we look forward to next week as we participate in the Lord's Supper as communion together to honor that sacrifice, that ultimate um, sacrifice that you, you made with your firstborn son. Father, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So we've been working our way through the Bible this year, which I've really been enjoying. And uh, as we've gone through creation and how we've been made in God's image and that we represent him, that we're made to be like him. And so therefore we're to get to know him and to, and, and to be like him and to represent him to the world around us. Um, but we fell into sin and ruined everything. Um, thankfully, we have a God that loves us and he knew we were going to do it beforehand and he counted the cost and it was a, a very a very high cost that was going to have to be paid. And eventually he realized that he, well, he knew from the beginning that he was going to have to pay it himself. And when he weighed it all out before he brought anything into creation, because he, he's, he's known everything from the beginning, he weighed it all out and he said, yes. He decided that it was worth it. He decided that you were worth it and that he created you, knowing that you would sin against him, knowing that he would have to pay the price for your sin to have a relationship with you. But having counted that cost, he believed that it was worth it. And that's why we're here, and that's why we're still here. That's why he didn't give up on us with Noah's flood or or with the Israelites coming out of Egypt. As many times as we, being in God's shoes, we would have given up on us, he didn't. And that's because of his love for us. And so last week we talked about the Exodus, and we talked about Moses, and and how God was leading his, uh, chose Moses to lead his people out of Egypt and how he spoke to all the people from the mountain and everyone heard his voice speaking to them and they were all terrified because they knew their, how sinful they were and how holy he was and so they asked Moses no 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 Moses please just you go on the mountain and you talk to God and then you come tell us what he said we don't we don't want to hear directly from him anymore because we're afraid that he may consume us and, and so you, you be the spokesman um, for God between God and us and that's where the prophets we see the prophet, the prophet system that God originated and God said that the people have spoken well. And so from that point on, God said, okay, I will speak to a person, a prophet, and then that prophet will tell you what I said. And Moses was that prophet. And uh, Moses did a, a great job. Um, I'm sure he did better than, than any of us would have done in that situation. And as much stuff that he faced, he did a great job. But we see that even he was not perfect. Even he failed, and even he needed a Savior. And so we started working through the plagues, and we talked about the first plague, 
the first plague God sent against Pharaoh was turning the Nile and all the water in Egypt into blood. Remember that? Eighty years prior to this, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh of Egypt filled the Nile with the blood of the Hebrew boys in an attempt to make sure that they always served him. And one of those boys became his grandson. And now him and his brother are being used by God to remind the Egyptians of the blood that they filled the Nile with by turning it all to blood throughout Egypt so that everyone would be reminded and confronted with their sin and the murder of the innocent children made in God's own image. Remember that? Well, after that first plague, he followed it with nine more plagues, frogs, gnats, swarms of flies, the death of livestock, bulls, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally, the death of the firstborn male. Now, these plagues were direct attacks against the Egyptian gods and against Pharaoh himself. The Egyptians worshipped several gods who were responsible for different aspects of Egyptian life. Okay? This was the life that they lived. Happy, not H-A-P-P-Y, but happy H-A-P-I, was the god of the Nile. That's the, the god that the Egyptians worshipped. The god of the Nile was happy. Ra, anybody know who Ra was? The god of what? The sun. So the Egyptians worshipped Ra as the god of the sun. They had, they had many gods that they, they attributed to different aspects of their well-being in life. So for, the, for their, their crops and, and different things that they were counted on, the rain, all these different things, they had different gods that they worshipped for all of this. They even eventually worshipped Pharaoh himself as a god. Well, God showed the Egyptians and all the other nations who heard about what he did to deliver his people that he alone was God and that all other gods were powerless against him. He said in Exodus twelve twelve, I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals, I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. So we see right here that God said that my plagues, all the different plagues that I did and ending with this last one, I am executing judgments against all of these gods. All these people, the, the, the Egyptians believed that they, they, the Pharaoh, he even called his own sorcerers and people to conjure up these miracles. They were counting on their own gods to protect them against these plagues. And God was showing them, no, your God is powerless. The God of the Nile is powerless. The God of the sun is powerless. God created, made it dark for three days. The darkness was so thick that nobody could move and go anywhere. The God, Ra, the sun God, where is he for three days? He's powerless against Yahweh. And God executed his judgments against all the gods of the Egyptians, not only for the Egyptians, but so that the Egyptians and all other nations would see that God, God alone is God. He said in Exodus 14, 4, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now, I don't want you to miss this, because, and, I, and I get it, and I, and I want to go ahead and, and say I get it. When you read verses of God's wrath, when you read verses of God's judgment, it always makes you just like, that's, ugh, that's tough. That's hard. You know, we, we, don't, we don't like those verses. That's why a lot, a lot of places you go, they're not even going to 
preach on these verses at all. My point is, you in your own life, don't skip the Bible. Don't not read it because it, it says things that, are, that rub you the wrong way or make you cringe or, or things that you don't like. Because you'll miss the flip side of that. And I'm, and I'm, gonna talk, I'm, I'm leaving it for now, but I'm going to come back to it more later in this sermon. But you'll miss the flip side of this. What he's doing to Pharaoh and eventually Pharaoh's army when they chase them into the Red Sea, he's doing so that all the Egyptians will know that he is Lord. So imagine his perspective. Imagine sitting in God's shoes. And this whole great nation has abandoned you. None of them worship you. None of them know you. They've all gone off to chase after and follow these false gods and worship after these false gods. All these Egyptians God desires to have a relationship with. He desires a relationship with all these people. And not just the Egyptians, all the other nations. And so, yes, we do see his judgment and we do see his wrath. But we also see, he, he tells us what his purpose is. And it's to save everybody. It's so that everybody would turn to me and everybody would return to me as God as they were in the beginning. I, I love the Egyptians. And I want them to come back to me and realize that, that all these gods that they're counting on aren't, aren't real. They can do nothing. That I'm here. I'm real. I can save them. I want them. Exodus 14, 17 and 18 says this. As for me, I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army, and his chariots and horsemen. He said, I, I, I will harden them to, to chase me into the Red Sea. And this will be the result. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am God. They will have the opportunity to turn back to me. And this is what happened. Exodus 14, 31. When Israel saw, now this is Israel, when Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. These are the Israelites who were living in Egypt under these false gods. The Israelites, when they saw what God had done, they believed and turned back to the Lord. Check one. Exodus 11.3, the Lord gave the people favor with the Egyptians. In addition, Moses, made, Moses himself was very highly regarded in the land of Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and the people. Do you see that? The officials at the top ranks of Pharaoh's, you know, officials, that's the word. Can't come up with another one. His officials. They regarded Moses and what he said, highly regarded. And they took word of what Moses was saying about this God, Yahweh. And the people and the Egyptians highly regarded Moses and, and his God, Yahweh. And we see the Egyptians turning to God. And then, this is a beautiful verse that you can miss if you're reading through quickly. Exodus 12, 37 and 38 says this, The Israelites traveled from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 able-bodied men on foot besides their families. Now, these are the Israelites leaving Egypt. They're leaving Egypt. A mixed crowd. 
a mixed crowd also went up with them, along with a huge number of livestock, both flocks and herds. The Israelites left, and some Egyptians went with them. The Israelites were drawn out of Egypt, and some Egyptians said, yeah, I'm going with that God. I don't care what I got to do. I'll serve y'all. I'll be your servant instead of you being mine. I'll be your slave instead of you being mine. I don't care. I'm going where your God's going. I'm not staying back here with all these powerless gods that could do nothing. That's beautiful. We see that God was accomplishing what he had set out to accomplish. The final plague was the death of the firstborn male. The first plague was a reminder of Egypt's killing of the Hebrew male children. And the last plague was God's killing of the Egyptian firstborn male children. But there's some big differences. One, God isn't killing all of the male children, just the firstborn males, people and livestock. But unlike Pharaoh, who killed all the Hebrew boys, were ordered all them be killed, God would allow you to redeem your firstborn males by sacrificing a one-year-old spotless goat or lamb. He would allow you to redeem your child. Anyone who would trust God to accept the proper sacrifice could have the lives of their firstborn males spared. But the Israelites, and this is important, this was a judgment against the Egyptians, but the Israelites were not spared. The Israelites were not automatically exempt from this plague. Even though the judgment was against Egypt, the Egyptians were not the only people who deserved death. All people deserve death, if we're going to just be honest about it. All people. Because we've all sinned. And we all deserve to be punished. Now, I mentioned last week there's two types of life and two types of death. You remember? Physical life, physical, uh, spiritual life. Physical death, spiritual death. Revelations talks about the second death. And that's being cast into hell apart from God's presence forever. Why? God is what? God is life. God is life. And so physically to die, you're separated from physical life. Spiritually to die, you're separated from spiritual life. God. You're separated from God forever. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. So the Israelites were told they too must sacrifice a lamb and wipe the blood on their doorposts. And when the angel of death came to their house and saw the blood of the sacrifice, the angel would pass over that house and spare the firstborn males. And this way, God was showing his people that even though we all deserve death, God will accept a sacrifice in our place so that we can live. But the people will eventually learn that the blood of bulls and goats is not sufficient to completely atone for your sins. There must be a greater sacrifice. We read this in Hebrews 10.4. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
So even though God would accept a sacrifice in faith for your forgiveness and atonement, the, bull, the blood itself of the bulls and goats did nothing to take away your sins and atone for your sins. The blood of those sacrificed animals itself did nothing. What was he honoring? Your faith. Doing it in faith. The Old Testament, it said those who live, live by faith. You will live by faith. Okay? Old Testament saints were saved by their faith. New Testament saints were saved by their faith. Old Testament, you were saved by faith. New Testament, you were saved by faith. Old Testament saints who had faith walked in obedience. New Testament saints who had faith walk in obedience. They obeyed God, sacrificing the animals in faith. And God honored their faith because he knew that a sacrifice that would be sufficient would one day come. And in the New Testament, we're not looking forward to that sacrifice. We're looking back to that sacrifice. He saves us by grace through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We place our faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. God spared the firstborn males of those who placed their faith in him for their salvation by allowing them to be redeemed by a substitute. But he would not spare his only son who willingly sacrificed himself for the forgiveness of our sins. And there's the difference. Hebrews 9.12, talking about Jesus. Jesus entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. Jesus chose to sacrifice himself. His life was not taken, it was given. Now, that's, that is crucial. That's key. Jesus' life wasn't taken. He gave it. It was his choice. And that's what I'm going to come back to in, in just a minute. But let's run through some of these verses. John 10, 18, Jesus himself said, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Jesus said that. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. Why is it that no one took Jesus' life? Because they couldn't if they wanted to. Jesus said, I can call 12 legions of, of angels to, to protect me if I wanted to. I could, I could command you to be whatever I want to command you to be, and you would be it. I could, I could command you to be gone, and you'd disappear. Because creation bows down to my words. Because I spoke creation into existence, Jesus did. The scripture says that Jesus created all things in the beginning. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Isaiah's prophecy. Now, Isaiah's prophecy is a little bit long, but I really want to go through it. Isaiah's prophecy of the Messiah said that he would willingly submit himself to death, bear their sin, and intercede for them. Isaiah 53, 12. Therefore, um, you, I think I've got this in here twice, so forgive me. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion, and he will receive the mightiest spoil, because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. Yet he bore the sin of many. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ, his sacrifice. Ephesians 1.7, In him we have redemption through his blood 
the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. His blood declares us righteous and will prevent us from facing God's wrath against our sin because Jesus faced God's wrath on our behalf. Romans 5, 9. How much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by His blood, will we be saved through Him from wrath? Now there's no shortage of passages in which we're told that it was by Jesus' willing sacrifice of himself that we are saved. Okay, there's no shortage of passages to tell us that. And this is where I want to sum it up, and, and, and I may not get back to what we were doing, and it just hit me. I don't think I even updated the verses on the back. I'm sorry, I left y'all without verses this week. Text me, I'll send them to all of them to you. I apologize. But let me just... Stop here, and I don't, I don't know if we'll finish, but I will finish whether we go through these verses or not. Jesus had to willingly sacrifice himself. Why? You know, we were talking in Sunday school about how kids ask all kinds of good questions. You know, kids will ask you questions that you could lead an adult Bible study for 30 years and never be asked. And you can lead a kid's Bible study one day and get hit with questions that an adult will never ask you. And you'll go, huh. I don't know, that's good. That's a good question. I'm going to have to get back to you on that. You know? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and that's what a lot of our, uh, our teachers now are resorting to, is kids will ask them a question, and they have learned to respond, you know what, that's a great question for the pastor. Um. But, you know, the question was asked of me by some of the youth here. Why did Jesus have to actually die? Why couldn't he just forgive us some other way? Why do you have to really, why do you have to actually die? You know, it's like, well, I don't know. I've always just accepted that he had to die. You know, it just made sense. I just didn't question it. But that's a good question. So let's think it through. And, and so things I have thought about before. Well, why did he have to become a man? Well, God can't die, can he? But he can if he becomes a human. So God had to die was the prerequisite. God had to become human as a condition because he couldn't die unless he became a human. That's the only way a, a life can die. God can't spiritually die, but he, he can make himself physically alive and physically die. But he, it, it, it gets down, why did he have to die? And this is what it boils down to. It boils down to his holiness and his justice. And this is why you don't want God to compromise on his holiness and his justice. Okay? These are things you say, well, I wish it wouldn't that way. No, you don't. No, you don't. You do not want God to compromise on his holiness and his sense of justice. This is why. The Greek mythology is full of gods who are not perfectly holy and not perfectly just. You can look to all kinds of foreign religions who have these false gods, and a lot of them will tell you that, you know, humans were never even considered before they were created. A god was slain, and the blood of that god that was slain hit the ground, and when the drops of blood hit the ground, people sprang up. We didn't even plan it. It was just an accident. You know, there's lots of different mythologies and beliefs out there where people are not, don't really care. Gods don't really care about the people. We'll use you for our advantage, but we're not interested in you. We're interested in us. 
God's not that way. You don't want God to compromise on his holiness because you don't want God to be evil. Do you take for granted that you can walk outside in the rain? You know, God created the world. God created rain. He didn't have to make it water. You could walk outside and it could rain acid. God could have done whatever he wanted to do. If he wasn't perfectly holy, then he could have made all rain acid where we wouldn't be living in wooden houses. We'd be living in stone caves if we were lucky enough to survive a rainstorm. And he would laugh. People get caught out in the acid and he would laugh. (laughs) You don't want that kind of God. You don't want a God that's not perfectly, perfectly good and holy. You don't want him to even compromise just a little bit on his goodness. And because you don't want him to compromise on his goodness, you also don't want him to compromise on his justice. Give you an example. Let's not talk about God for just a second. Let's just give you an example of just justice in in our world. This is an example I gave. It's kind of harsh one. It's it's kind of makes you cringe a little bit, but I think it makes the point. Let's say we we don't today, but let's say we had kids back here in the in the children's church, and and a just awful evil person come in the doors. And that evil person told us, I'm, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to kill those kids or whatever, just something evil. Now, what would you think of me if I just said, look, I really don't want you to do that, but I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. I really don't want you to do that. But I really don't want, if you do, would you come back here and at least apologize? What kind of person would I be? Now, would you want me to be your God? No. Why? Because I have no sense of justice. I have no sense of making right right. What's right and what's just is for me to lay down my life in trying to protect those kids. That's the just thing to do. You don't want a God who compromises on his justice either. You don't want a God that doesn't care about the evil that goes on in this world. Do you see my point? Think of all the evil that happens in this world. Because it happens. Kids are brutally murdered by adults. Awful, vicious, vile things happen in this world. You don't want a God that can watch that and say, I really don't want you to do that, but oh well. No, you want a God that becomes angry. You want a God that cares. You want a God that loves that child. And it's not just the children, but he cares about the adults. He doesn't want you to violate another adult. And it doesn't, because he's so holy and perfect, it doesn't have to be these big, enormous, heinous crimes. He doesn't want you to lie to someone either. He doesn't want you to to harm somebody in a small way either, because he's perfectly, perfectly holy. And he has a sense of perfect justice. And you don't want him compromising those things. You don't want that God. So what do we do? Because we know we want a perfectly holy God, which he is. And we want a perfectly just God, which he is. But when he thinks about, do I make these people that are going to sin and rebel and deserve death and deserve my punishment and wrath, do I make them or not? 
Because I can't just sweep it under the rug, just like we can't let that guy go back there and kill those kids and then just brush it under the rug and act like it never happened. Could you do that? Could you go back the rest of your life and just pretend it never happened? Of course not. And you don't want a God who's going to let you sin against each other and sin against him and just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it never happened. Because that's not a real sense of justice. So what do you do? Jesus did it. Before God created a single person, Jesus, who is God in the Trinity, said, you don't have to compromise your justice. I'll just take the punishment for them. You're not sweeping it under the rug. And you're not just pretending like it never happened and not not executing judgment. I'll just take it on myself for them. So God doesn't have to compromise his holiness. He doesn't have to compromise his justice. And he can still let you off the hook. So when we celebrate what Jesus did and what God was showing us with the Passover and next week when we participate in the Lord's Supper and we're taking in the bread and we're taking in the juice and honoring and remembering of what Christ did for us, what we are saying is, I deserved God's wrath and Jesus chose to take it for me. Thank you, Jesus, that I can be forgiven and I can have a relationship with you forever. I can't thank you enough. I can't pay you back. And I couldn't do anything to make it right myself. You had to do it all. And so I just give you my life. It's yours. Take it. It's all yours. And I I won't even come close to, to paying you back. And to think that not only would you forgive me and allow me to be in your presence, I would be honored to be your slave forever. I'd be honored. Just like we see the Egyptians who went with the Israelites, they most likely doesn't say, I don't know, I'm just guessing here. They most likely submitted themselves in servitude to the Israelites. And said, I'll go with you. I'll be your servant. I'll be your slave. Just take me wherever your God is. And what I'm telling you is I would gladly do that. I would gladly serve in the kingdom of heaven as God's slave for for all of eternity if he would just let me be there with him. But the beauty of the gospel is he said, I have chosen to adopt you as my son and as my daughter and make you a co-heir with Jesus, who did this for you. To have full family rights. I mean, how do you respond to that? Only thing you can do is fall down on your face and just just unbelief. I I don't deserve this. And, And to say that pride should creep up in me and think that I've been good enough that I deserve to go to heaven, you God forbid. The problem is most people don't know the message. Most people that you know don't know this truth. And so what do they do? They think they do deserve to go to heaven. They think they deserve it. 
because they're not as bad as some people are. They think, I think I'm a pretty good person. I deserve eternal life with God. And the truth is, we don't. We don't deserve what he's paid for us. We were bought at a price. And I've said this once before, and I'll close with this. How valuable are you? Value is determined by the price someone will pay for something. You can think your paintings or drawings or whatever it is you make, service that you provide, you may think it's the most valuable thing on the planet. But if nobody will pay for it, then it has no value. How valuable are you? Because the scripture says that God paid for you. How much did he pay for you? He paid the blood of his son. What's worth more? The blood of his son? Or all of creation? Every planet, every piece of gold, every dollar, everything that exists. The blood of his son. So how valuable are you? You're more valuable than all of creation. There's nothing as valuable as human life. The human soul that God made and placed in each and every person on this planet. So when you start getting down on yourself and you think I'm not worth much and and life gets hard and you get depressed, just remember the whole entire cosmos is not worth as much as you because God didn't shed his son's blood for the earth or for the solar system or for all the creatures on this planet. Just people. That's how much you're worth to God. How much is he worth to you? Have you made that commitment with your life to follow him and give him everything you have the rest of your life day by day, day by day. And if you have not given your life to Christ, then I beg you to come do that today, right now, as we have our closing song before you leave this church. Get my phone number before you leave. If you have questions, I don't care. We'll talk through them. We'll work through them because I promise you there's not a question you could possibly have that this book right here can't help you answer. Now, you may not get every answer to every question in your life, but you'll get all the answers you need. You'll get all the answers you need to have. When I buy a car, when I buy a car, like I do it all the time. (laughs) When I bought a car... (laughs) I asked to have a test drive. I did not have him bring a mechanic out to me and explain to me how the pistons work and how the oil pressure works and how all this stuff. I didn't have to have all the answers. I just had to have enough to go on. I had to have my basics answered, which was, does this car run? And does it make any funny noises that I would recognize? No? then that's all I really need. God has written the scriptures in such a way that you can read them and you can get all you need 
to know that you've sinned against a holy God, that your sin cannot be overlooked and go unpunished, but that Jesus chose to take that punishment for you. And all God asks of you is to place your faith in him and to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To trust him. That's what faith is, trust. To trust him to save you when you know you cannot save yourself. Please, do not let another day go by if you have not solved that question in your heart yourself today. Let's have our closing song.